Hello and welcome to Just Black Talking. I am your host, Dr. Justin Black, and today I have a very special guest. I am so grateful to be spending time here with Joseph McClendon III, a world-class life coach, motivational speaker, and a neuropsychologist. What have I missed, Joseph? <laughs> I, think you, I think you got enough on the place for now. I think that'll do. I think that'll do. Thank you for joining me today and, and spending some time. You are such a dynamic person. And I want to kind of tease out just a little bit from you today on a, on a topic that I find very fascinating that's been going on right now. I caught you on a, another podcast, uh, The Truth Prescription with Dr. Sekou Gathers. Near the end of that, he posed a, a very provocative question, which was, if you had to leave this earth tomorrow, what advice would you give your son? And I don't know if you recall what your answer was, but it really it really stood out to me. And you mentioned that you'd like to look back but not stare. And can you expand on that just a little bit? And then I'll kind of um, explain to you how I wanted to use that as a launching pad for discussion today. First off, thank you for this opportunity as well. My need, and I'm going to call it a need to share and really talk about the things that I've had the privilege of learning comes from a time in my life when I was at my worst. I was homeless and I was homeless because when I was 17 and a half years old, three grown men tried to take my life because of the color of my skin and it all but destroyed me. It took away my pride. It took away my, my sense of well-being and I was scared. And what happened, Justin, was somebody that I didn't know, a kind person helped me. They gave me a book and the book was called Think and Grow Rich. And I read the book and did the exercises and my life started to change. But the reason I share that with you is because when I, went back to thank him. And I asked him, what do I do to repay you? Because you've changed my life. What he told me was he said, you do this, you repay me by you doing the same thing that I've done for you in any way that you can for as many people as you possibly can. And so that, you know, I was, I was 19 when that happened and I didn't really take it serious back then. But as I grew, I started to realize that we all have uh, you know, we always we all feel better when we help everybody. And it has become something for me that is, like I said, a need. And so that's why I do what I do. And so many people are better for you sharing of yourself in that way. And and I'm one of the legion now to be so grateful for you for being so kind. And uh, it really is. It, it's it's one man making such an impact on so many. And we're grateful for that. We really are. And and thank you for sharing that that story as the backdrop as we talk about trauma and overcoming traumas. And I realize, and you're quite welcome, because again, you're, you're assisting me in my life's goals, if you will, to bring it around to here we are today and where we are today. And the question, uh, the reason I answered that with regard to my son, and I say this to everybody, is that the trauma that happened to me then, and, and we all have varying degrees of trauma, but we all have trauma in our lives. 
if you continue to dwell on that, then physically, now you know this as an anesthesiologist, that our body releases hormones and chemicals that make us feel a certain way. And when you look back and you, you only look at the bad and you look at the trauma, consciously or unconsciously, your brain is releasing, you know, cortisol and all the nasty stuff that makes you feel that way. It, it hinders your health. It hinders your forward motion and all those things. And so the advice that I always give to everybody is, listen, that old saying about today is the first day of the rest of your life. That's true. It's absolutely true. Look, it's also the last day of our past. And so it's important to go, okay, the past stops right here. Look back. And so we can learn from our lessons, but let's continue to look forward. And as we look forward, we, we have to look back, but just don't dwell on it. Don't stare. And, and obviously, my processes and my techniques are to help people rid themselves of those fears and phobias and emotional challenges that hinder their lives that habitually make them look bad. But that I stand strong in that is, is not just telling people that, but giving them the tools and the processes and the strategies so that they default to looking forward with positive expectancy. And it's that skill set of yours that I wanted to kind of tease out today. As I mentioned, you, you have so many talents, but really when we're talking about looking back at past traumas and appreciating them, but not being paralyzed moving forward to that. And so if you allow for me to make this, this parallel, a phenomenon that's going on, and I think with good reason, as we're still coming out of this COVID pandemic, is I'm noticing lots of hesitancy. Lots of myths, conspiracy theories, apprehension, uh, particularly in minorities, uh, about taking a vaccine. In, in its most casual, it's, it's uh, hey, I'm just going to wait, make sure it's okay, see how people respond, and then I'll get around to it. But when we have more deeper conversations about it, it really starts to get conflated and, and intertwined with past traumas. And you hear things like Tuskegee experiments being tossed out. And so I really want to discuss a little bit with you uh, some of the the development, the mindset as a people, are African-Americans, are we stuck looking back and staring at past trauma in that way, in a way that is harming our progress in respect to this? I don't think we're stuck. I don't believe anybody's stuck. However, I do believe that we have been conditioned to default to that more often and quicker and more habitually than other races, if you will. And here's what I mean by that. You know, I'm a scientist. You know, my doctorate is in neuropsychology, but I, I always say that everything that I teach, I want to be able to back up by science. Mm -hmm. I taught at the University of Southern California for several years, and I taught to engineers, and they are the most anal and the most happy <laughs> people in the world. So anything that I had to say, I always had to back it up with science. And so there is a science that I want to talk about to answer your question as mm -hmm. to why we might be more susceptible to that type of skepticism and hesitancy. And that is it. There's a, a science called uh, epigenetics. Epigenetics. Epi is above. Genetics is our, our genealogy and, and our uh, DNA. And so the tenets of epigenetics are this, that the fears and beliefs of the ancestors get handed down into the genes, the DNA of the offspring. And yeah, it's, it's, an, uh, it's a fascinating science and it's all hardcore science. And one of the experiments that they did to, to exemplify that is they took mice. They introduced a smell to them. Let's just say it was the scent of cinnamon. And as soon as they introduced the cinnamon to the mice, they shocked the mice. They gave them pain. Okay. So they can make that association. Pavlov's dog, they created a conditioned response. Mm -hmm. So pretty soon all they had to do was show or, or introduce the smell of cinnamon and these these animals would go into, into fight or flight. 
That's called their sympathetic nervous system. Mm-hmm. They would just freak out. Now, the interesting thing was, so that's normal. I mean, that, that we, we, like I said, Pavlov's dog, conditioned response, we all know about that. But here's the deal. 10, 15, 20 generations down of their offspring, all they had to do was introduce the smell. And they raised the offspring with or without the parents. Wow. Not that the parents taught it to them, but all they had to do was, was introduce the smell of cinnamon. And these animals would go into fight or flight. Having never experienced it themselves. Why that's important with our community, with the, with the black community, is that all of our, not some, but all of our ancestors were beaten, murdered, enslaved, raped, and psychologically hijacked to believe the absolute worst about themselves. Those are our ancestors. And so that gets handed down through the genealogy as well. And I've tested it. I've gone through it. And one, another thing that, you, that people can do if you're listening to, to us now, when we're finished, go to YouTube. And if you've not seen it, look up the black baby doll experiment. It will break your freaking heart. Mm. Because what it is, is they took the, a, a black baby doll, a white baby doll, and they took these babies between the ages of three and five years old, black children. And they said, point to the baby doll that's wrong, bad, and ugly. Mm-hmm. And sure. all of the babies pointed to the black baby doll. They said, point to the baby doll that's good, pretty, and right. And they all pointed to the white baby doll. Now, where did they learn that from? You yeah. might say, okay, well, they learned it from their parents and so on and so forth, but there's evidence that it's passed down. So what you mentioned with regard to, you know, I think it was uh, Miss Everett's boys, which was the Tuskegee experiment, where right. injected uh, black men with, with um, syphilis. Untreated syphilis, right. Untreated syphilis, and they, they, it was an experiment with them. Well, it's not just that, because I would venture to believe that not a lot of people, black people, know about that that experiment or know the details about it. Or or, or were directly affected or or have proximity to it. Right. Right. But from the epigenetic side of it, as well as what's put in front of our faces, it is that we have been conditioned not to trust. There is definitely longstanding mistrust, distrust of authorities, of, of government and obviously, there's a long history of medical misappropriations against Blacks. I've been finding it really fascinating because I'm in medicine, and I'm obviously not here to cause harm to, to anyone, including, you know, my own, my own people, but my loved ones, close friends, family, they're bringing these concerns to me. And it's perking my attention because I say, you know, I, I've never considered that from that perspective. And so it's very difficult because I'm trying to now find how can I enlist the trust to help combat that, especially with with COVID. I feel very confident and strongly that vaccination is the way to go and that it's more harmful to our community to be unvaccinated than than not uh, with with our hosts of pre-existing conditions and things like that. But this epigenetics that you're talking about, how can that be addressed overcome, combated? How can we persuade anyone, whether it's individuals or certainly as a collective group, to overcome some of this this DNA programming? Yeah, there are a couple of answers to that. One of them, you know, I'm going to give you kind of broad strokes of, of mm-hmm. something, but then give you a, a technique that you, you might want to use or might, can try using when you're working with individuals uh, one-on-one and or small groups of people to help them recognize the things that you believe with regard to your belief in, in the vaccinations and all those things. And that is something that is called align and redirect. And this, again, I'm also, re- I'm, I'm about science, but I'm also about process to produce results. In other words, we can talk all day long, but if a, the result doesn't come from that, if, if we, we don't cause somebody to step up and take action, we just, you know, had a nice conversation. Right. So when people are scared, 
what they want deep inside is they want to be understood and they want to they want to know that you whomever they're communicating to understands and even is empathetic to their fear meaning we want you to feel our fear so then you would understand where we're coming from so if you come to somebody and you push against them and you just say let's just again using vaccination sure, sure. example you go listen you've got to take the vaccination because our, our communities are at most at risk and all these things and everything and this person already has in their mind that they're scared they're going to go yeah well i'm just going to wait and you know tuskegee and all this thing and everything and they're going to push back against you and when they do the operative is to align with them first to give them that that sense of understanding that you understand that you're feeling with them as well and and that validation that that, that those those fears are real and and they come from a place that's real as we're talking about even epigenetically th- these are real things okay and so the language that you can use that i i often use to align with is is uh, we call it the agreement frame First off, never use the word but, because <laughs> you say but, you negate whatever you said before. But just say, listen, I, I feel you. I understand how you feel, or I appreciate how you feel. And I even agree, and maybe even I even agree with how sure. you feel. Mm-hmm. I understand, appreciate, and or agree. And. Not but. Uh, yes, not but. Okay? Mm-hmm. I understand how you feel. And I have felt the same way as well. Others have felt that as well. You might give examples as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What you talk about even epigenetics and or Tuskegee or any of the other things and, and, and justify them. And let them know you agree with them. Listen, these are all true. Yeah. Then you go, and here's what we have found. And then, especially for somebody that is a, a, a medical physician that gets to get in, here's what we have found is that vaccine, the, the vaccine is absolutely safe and, and all the, the things that you can do. And it's not a guarantee that you're going to get somebody to say, yes, I'll do it. At the very least, you're going to chip away at their certainty about their disempowering belief. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah, you know, that was a real quick dissertation of it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I get that. These are delicate things because I'm just but one person. Those are my beliefs. I have other very well-respected colleagues who have slightly different beliefs. They they, they may be more or less encouraging uh, of something like <laughs> delicately put. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Well, I got I have ones that are just not so delicate about it. They're just in your face and ready. To, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And but and, and you understand that. And part of being a black doctor has always been this enlisting with with black patients that I understand that that I'm I'm here and that I'm not part of a system that's there to cause harm to you. There's always been some of that. And so even now, when there's such mistrust for what and, and that's something I don't know that I can really pinpoint the origins right now at this time and place in our in our history, why everything has kind of mushroomed into this really sensational kind of conspiracy type of world that we're in. But it's a real challenge to deal with. But I think that's a, that seems like some some useful and humane techniques to to, to engage and connect with patients and, and kind of express what, what my perspective is. Yeah, it allows you to have a platform to talk and at the very least chip away at the barriers, the psychological barriers and fears that people have and cause you to be listened to. I really love what you just what you said, Justin, about I'm not here to cause harm. I'm here to assist and to help. And one of the things that I'm not going to say you and I enjoy, I I will say that we do. And and we're not alone in this. We have access to a different way of thinking and a a different community of people that others might not, black or white or otherwise. And that is you're more likely to be around more professional people 
than the average person is when I say professional in your field and in my field. And so one of the things that I, I did this a little while ago, I created something that I called the Magnificent Life Challenge. And what I did was I, I went out and I, I, on my own dime, it was right at the height of the Black Lives Matter and Floyd being killed and all those things that were going on. I felt the calling to do this. And that is I made an advertisement or a, a post, an advertisement, YouTube and on you know, Facebook and everything. And what I said was, I said, if you have black or brown skin, you have an internal wound psychological wound that you may not be aware of. And because of that wound, it it stops us from doing things. I'm, I'm paraphrasing everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I said, I have had the privilege of being in front of close to 5 million people. And I have a certain, you know, not to sound like what's his name from, uh, oh gosh, I forgot the movie, but I have a certain specific set of skills. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. It is a taken. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> taken, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, those skills, I've taught people how to get the best out of themselves and, but the, only, the challenge is, is only about three to five percent of those audiences are black or brown. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a hired gun in, in a lot of these seminars and workshops that I do. And I said, and so what that what I watch is I watch these people take these skills, go back to their lives, change their lives, and then they thrive. But we're not getting that. And here we are at this precipice, meaning it's right up in front of us. Now I'm old enough to remember the civil rights era, Rodney King, O.J. Simpson, and all the times when people, when things came to a head, mm-hmm. and the promise of change. But the challenge was we didn't change as much as we could, should, would. And we didn't because of, as I was saying, the epigenetics and all those things, because we have those psychological wounds. And so what I did is I said, listen, absolutely free. I I said, I'm going to teach these things to you. I did a four-day free Zoom. uh, uh, And I think we had like 12,000 people that that got on board in that. And we still are are continuing that. We have a Facebook group that uh, people are still uh, chiming in on that and still following through. And that was back in November. The reason I share that with you is opening up the mindset to people to recognize that there are other ways of thinking and causing ourselves to, I use the word default, to our better selves. Mm-hmm. Our better selves are those that, that operate from our parasympathetic nervous system, which is, you know, sympathetic is fight or flight. Parasympathetic is that possibility and optimism and all those things. And our lives are just better that way. And so I, I think, and, and again, I appreciate you allowing me to do this with you now because this is another avenue to not to put too fine a point on it, but to allow me, um, you know, from a selfish standpoint, mm-hmm. to fulfill my uh, commitment that I made to the gentleman years ago, but more specifically to be able to make a difference because that whole thing, you know, the whole thing when, when I hear people saying, well, all lives matter. Yes, they do. They do. But the analogy I like to use is this. If you live next door to me and my house is on fire, which one of our houses is the most important? Which one matters the most? Well, it's mine. Not because, you, you know, you might not want to see me lose all my stuff. But if you don't help me put my house out, my house is going to catch your house on fire. That's right. That's right. So that is, you know, the, the uh, fundamentally where I come from on all this stuff as well. It's not about it's not about separation. It, it is literally, literally about us all get together. Last thing I'll say is you know, with that event. Now, we, you know, there were 12,000 people that we, that I came in through the funnel, but there was maybe about 5,000 per day that showed up. But the reason I share that with you is it's pay it forward. In other words, my only request of all of these people is that if you got some benefit from what I teach, you tell other people about it. You don't have to give me credit for it. I'm not looking for the credit, but you go out and you teach other people. That is how we change the world. That is how we impact and influence other people who have a different mindset and belief. And what was the name of the, the, the program that you mentioned in there? Magnificent Life Challenge. 
Are you finding that African-Americans are addressing some of those unseen hurts, those internal traumas or wounds more than before? Uh, are you seeing that? I, I do, because the way I, I, with regard to my program, the answer is absolutely yes, because I put it in their face. Mm-hmm. I, I always tell people this, and, and this is no joke. If you have a fear of dogs and you come into my office. You're going to have a dog. There. There's going to be a dog in there because <laughs> I'm going to put it in your face. But here's the beauty of it. At the end of that hour, you're going to hold the dog. You're going to be fine with the dog. And then I'm going to give you something to do so that you geometrically grow that belief and that strength inside of you. So getting people across that starting line of, because there still were, I'll give you a perfect example. When I, my very first book, I wrote it in 19, it isn't funny how we say 19 anything, it sounds ancient. Uh, 1996 was when the book was published. It was called Mm -hmm. Unlimited Power of Black Choice. And I wrote the book because um, I I became, at the risk of sounding arrogant, semi-successful, you know, in my 20s and 30s because of, like I told you, the book that I read and the things that I did, and I just followed through. And so my friends would come to me and they would go, dude, what are you doing? You know, we want in. We, we want to do that as well. Yeah, yeah. Got into real estate and I did all that stuff and everything. And, and I would tell them, well, listen, I read these books. I go to these seminars. And their, their overwhelming response was, well, we don't trust those white people. And we can't relate to those stories. So that's why I wrote the book. Now, I'm, I, even back then, my, my skill set is I'm a psychologist and I'm a neuropsychologist. So I have that specific set of skills. So I wrote that book about, and I used all black stories, all black examples, and so on and so forth. And the book became a New York Times bestseller. But here's the deal, is that through time, still a lot of people have not, you know, it was a bestseller, but still a lot of people never heard of that book and never, never read it. I credit that to, well, oftentimes in our society, we are taught, and it is a conditioning thing as well. That all you need is right here on your phone. All you need is right there on your television. All you need is right there on the radio. And it's not. You got to crack a book. And I'm not saying that those things aren't there. We wouldn't be have this platform that we have right now to do this. But right, the, the right. smaller percentage of informative and life changing things come from uh, uh, our screens. They truly do, unless you go look. And that process of seeking and processing the information, of reading it, of going after it yourself. There's more of a lasting impact than if you just heard it or or watched it or listened to it. And so we really do have to take an active role in this. You're you're big on action, not knowledge. Knowledge is power is fine. But without taking the action, without repeating the action, you're not going to get the gains and the rewards. And that's something I think that that we can uh, benefit from hearing and practicing more. Yeah, no doubt. It is not, you know, as you said, knowledge is not power. Knowledge is only stored information. People that want to lose weight, they they know how to lose weight. It's not what they know. They know you quit putting so much food in this hole in your face Mm -hmm. and move your body and you will lose weight. That's plain and simple. But they don't always do what they know. So people say that knowledge is not power. They say action is power. And I take it a step further. I say action is only temporary power or limited power. What that means is, is if you go to the gym, if I tell you, you got to go to the gym and lift weights. And if you want to build up your bicep, you go to the gym once or twice, that ain't going to build up your, your bicep. You got to continue to go. So my, my word for that beyond that is activity. Activity is action repeated over and over again until you surpass your goal. 
And so our outcome is to take people from is first off, give them the knowledge, give them that that warm, fuzzy feeling and that certainty feeling of getting the knowledge. So they go, aha. And we know we're on the same page. But then take them into action steps. And, and I say right here in the moment, if you've ever been around me when I'm speaking, it's not I always say we're going to do something. Like I said, you, you come, there's going to be a dog there and we're going to do something right now. Mm-hmm. Give them something to do so that they continue that outside of your influence so that when you're gone and follow-ups and things like that. And that, that way you produce results with people. And then they, then they take it on themselves and they, and they start to make it their own. Yeah. That's, that's fascinating, fascinating stuff. And so what about collective actions? Uh, we're seeing some of these things now. We just had this run on the, the market with GameStop and some of these other things where, where people are behaving in groups to accomplish a goal, whether it's to attack the market or attack the capital or whatever the case is. <laughs> but just that collective uh, action and, and, and group action as opposed to individuals, is there a correlation with that? Is there a connectivity with that from, from a neuropsych uh, standpoint? No doubt. There is something called the hundredth monkey syndrome. And that is, you, know, you heard about that. It's fascinating. And these, are, these again, they, they transcend distance. And, and now it it's happens faster because we got television and media and things like sure, that. Sure, sure. But the hundredth monkey was they had these monkeys on these islands out in Borneo or whatever, and they had a series of islands and monkeys hate water. You know, if you go to the zoo, that what keeps the monkeys away is, is water. They won't go mm-hmm. in the water. And mm-hmm. so these monkeys, what they did was they introduced, I think it was sweet potatoes to the island. And the monkeys, uh, when the sweet potatoes grew, the monkeys would dig them up and play with them, but they wouldn't eat them because they were dirty, because they had dirt all over them. Okay. And then okay. One, day, one of the monkeys, and they chronicled this, one of the monkeys was playing around and he dipped the, the, or he dropped the potato in the water, pulled it out, washed it off, and he ate the potato. Other monkeys, monkey see, monkey do, they did the same thing. They mm-hmm. started doing that as well. So all these monkeys in a group started doing it. But here's the interesting thing is that monkeys on the other islands, several other islands, they started wow. doing it as well. So that collective consciousness while we're one-on-one, with, and it works the same with people. You know, we've heard this mm-hmm. before. Women, uh, if, if a group of women are together for a long enough time, they'll start to, their menstrual cycles will start to sync up. and Synchronize, sure, sure. It's a very real thing. And so to your, your point about uh, groups and people doing things, there's a healthy side of it, yes. And as long as you have, that's what's so dangerous about government as far as I, I the way I feel is that if you have a healthy government and somebody that is, that is, has ethics and, and morals and doing the right things, uh, according to humankind, if you will, mm-hmm. then that you, you stand the chance of turning that into, let's just say, uh, an epigenetic as well as a, a movement amongst the people around. But on the other hand, if you have somebody that's unhealthy there, if you have an unhealthy leader, and then uh, and with unhealthy behaviors, thoughts and and uh, and morals, then that's going to permeate into a group of people as well. Yeah. And I, and I won't drag you into uh, to, to picking the side on that, uh, but I have sides on it. And, and we've we're emerging from a very unhealthy leadership misinformation. And I think all of those things are combining. So, you know, as we began our conversation talking about vaccinations and misinformation, a lot of that started from from our leadership's uh, information. Yeah. And it's been going on for longer than than this past administration. Mm-hmm. It's sure. been going on for a long time. And again, I mean, we have a history of it in terms of being a black man. We have a history of it that goes back 400 years. And so the trick is, these are all facts. These are all things that are real. And we know the, the question is, what are we going to do about it? And the answer, in my opinion, is I have a couple of things. One is, as ye seek, so shall ye find. And 
as ye seek, so shall it find you. You attract those things into your life if you go looking for it. You're listening to us right now, whomever is listening to us right now. There's a part of you that, that you know, without, hopefully is going, hey, that makes some sense. And, but you, whether you stumbled on this or not, if you go out looking for more of the same, then it's going to show up in your life. You know, if you go and and unfortunately, the downside of that is we're being told what to look for by social media, by 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 media in general. We're constantly having that in front of us. So to break that mold, to break that pattern and start to seek more then life changes as a result of that. Optimism means you have options. You have positive options. Pessimism means you have two fight or flight. When mm. we're afraid and we're pessimistic about something, sarcastic about something, then what happens is we only go, okay, well, this bad thing could happen or this bad thing is, and that's we focus. And all the way back to the top of our conversation, Justin, we're looking backwards and staring at it. That's right. And, you know, practice optimism, look forward, positive expectancy, and that stuff will start to show up in your life. And and you've said before, nothing feels better than, you know, feeling better, you know, feeling good is feeling good. Yeah. So being more optimist, pushing yourself towards that goal, pushing yourself towards getting information, you're going to feel better. You're going to be a better human being as opposed to, as I think I saw one of your, your posts on Instagram, not a, not a human have or, 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 or you know, a human do, but a human being. Uh, and I thought that was very powerful. You know, people feel like, well, if I have more money, then I'll do more for other people. I'll do more for my life. And then I'll be happy. It's completely backwards. Be happy first. Learn the skill of being happy. And it is just a skill. Learn the skill of being happy first. And then you will do more. And then you will have more. And it's that shift in people's psychology that changes their lives. Because you get to realize, oh, wait a minute. I'm in control, aren't I? It doesn't matter what's going on. Yeah, I'm going to have hard times. Yeah, the world is unfair. Yeah, this is going on. And the one thing I have control over is my own psychology. So let me show me how to be happy. Practice that, and that will become your default. You've got a remarkable skill set. What's on tap this year in 2021 as we're moving in? Are we getting back into seminars, or what's the plan moving forward for you? Uh, Two things. Thanks for asking. Um, I have taken all that I know, all these tools and strategies that uh, you spoke about. And I put them all in one place and I'm launching here, um, no matter when this this, uh, podcast comes out, uh, something that's called, and I call that um, neuroencoding. Neuroencoding is the skill of being able to give people the tools so that they can deliberately program themselves to default to their best behavior to default to taking more activity, to default for feeling better, to default to exercise, any of those things. And so I created a certification course that we are launching as we speak here in just a couple of weeks. But, and one of the things that I do, if you follow me on Instagram and I encourage, you know, people to come along is I give stuff away all the time and not to specific people, but to everybody. Mm -hmm. Right now, there's something that I call the heal your brain, heal your life, brain revolution. And if you go to uh, my Instagram, which is I am Joseph McClendon and click on the profile, it's yours for free. And every you know, month or a couple months, I put something up there for you. There's no strings attached. And it is, it's my, as I said, at the top of our show here, uh, it is my, my gift to everybody to fulfill what I said. I want to make sure that we all get this. I think it's, it's just so, uh, so gracious and wonderful and what a great opportunity. So if we go to I am Joseph McClendon for Instagram, we can start to find access to all these resources you're providing to default up to our best selves, to default up to our best selves. I think that's just so powerful. And also to, to use some of these tools to try to 
discover and address and heal those inner wounds that we may be having as well. So I think those are some exciting things to start looking forward to and, and we can all benefit from. Engaging. Special conversation today. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate your perspective on how and why we're reacting the way we are to things that are happening right now um, and specifically to vaccinations and some tools even to to align uh, with one another and and kind of work through this together as opposed to um, making fears worse. So I appreciate that. Again, we can find you uh, on Instagram. Uh, Also, you have a website as well. Is that correct? Yes, it is my name.com, josephmcclendon.com. Joseph McClendon, blessing us today on Just Black Talking. Thank you so much. And we'll keep our eyes open for your new projects at the uh, links that we discussed. Perfect, man. And, and lastly, I want to say to everybody, life is exactly what you dare to make it. And fortune favors the bold. And the trick to life, as we know it right now, is to boldly step up and dare to make your life magnificent. Justin, thank you so much. And thank I look you. this again. Thank you so much. All right, my friend.